<sighs> All right, you ready? I'm ready. You ready? I'm ready. Are you recording? I'm always recording. Always recording. I may come back to buy me someday. <laughs> That's going in the archives. Right. It's like Prince, you know, like when they right. find his dad from Oxycontin, we'll we'll have a hell of an archive. Yeah. I'll count have you on. seen Lemonade yet? I've not seen Lemonade. No, I still need to. I keep talking Trinity and I keep talking about it. Thompson, you're the first person I would assume would go and like run to watch Lemonade. I know. Well, we live in a post-Lemonade world. <laughs> well, I don't yet. <laughs> Love the throat clear. Five, four, three, two. Hello and welcome to Thinking Religion. I'm Thomas Whitley. I'm Sam Harrelson. <clears throat> I counted down just for you, Sam. Thank you. It helps me. How you doing? All right. Um, pretty good. Pretty good. Big week? Not really. Not really. Sadly. Still <laughs> waiting on stuff, you know? And this is kind of yeah. liminal. It's not really liminal. I don't really like the concept of liminality in general. We could talk about that later. But, um, yeah, no, just in kind of a holding pattern, so to speak, on a number of things. So, you know, trudging along, doing my thing. Not a bad week. Um, I played basketball on Sunday with a group of people. And... Um, Suffice to say, I will not be playing basketball again anytime soon. <laughs> did you get the blisters on your feet? I did not get blisters, but yeah, I mean, I run a decent amount, so like I'm used to uh, that's used to yeah. that. But um, no, it's pretty sore. My ankle is still sore, and it's Thursday, so oh wow, um, not sure. But didn't you almost like break something? Like, didn't you have a foot? I injury? did. I did break my ankle, but that's been a few years now. So yeah, but you almost like didn't you have two micro? Uh, fractures in your oh yeah I did, yeah I did have um, uh, stress fractures in both of my feet when I was training for the half marathon or, which was only like six months ago yeah the half well the, no the half was like it was in February so it was like two months ago I guess no three months ago now yeah Jeez. so yeah but it's like I don't know that's a different part I don't know I just hadn't everything had been fine I was like oh yeah sure I'm in like decent shape right now I'll go play basketball I'm not in basketball playing shape so. Well, you sound like a professor who's, you know, you, you've, you've achieved what you wanted to achieve in life. And you, you look back fondly on your students and you're doing some teaching at the local community college, but you're handling retirement well and you're, you're still staying active and you're, you're going to play basketball and. <laughs> and getting injured. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the life of, of people in the academy. It's so fascinating to me. It's like doctors and, and academics, you know, like your, your life doesn't really start until you're 35. Right. Because you've been in school. The whole time. I know. The whole time. Yeah. And now you're like, what do I do with my Right. Time? And I look around too and I'm like, oh, this like y'all have had life. careers for 10 years? What's that like? <laughs> like with real paychecks? Like that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, there are bank accounts and credit cards and all kinds of fun things. Um. Speaking of, I, I, so I've been playing with my iPad a lot. I, well, not playing with it. I've been using it a lot for work. And I did two pitches last week on the iPad, and they were flawless, and they're great. And actually got both of those uh, consulting jobs. But the most fascinating thing to me about this iPad Pro is a, a problem, not a problem, a situation, I guess, that has existed since the beginning of the iPad. Um, so I, I was a, a middle school teacher for a while, and also helped, what was it, three schools that I worked at or two schools uh, in terms of their technology component. 
And one of the schools was an iPad one-to-one school. And the other school was a Google app school, but everyone had iPads and iPhones and that kind of stuff, parents included. And we gave email addresses to all the parents, which, you know, looking back, I don't know if that was the wisest (laughs) decision in the world. Um, But, uh, you know, forever, I've known how on on an iPhone or iOS device to set up your Google apps, right? And you have to use the exchange option and you go in and you put in m.google.com as your server and then you don't worry about this and you put in your your credentials and sometimes if you if you have two-factor authentication like i do you have to go create a new password in the google admin stuff and it's and then and then to get the calendars working you have to go to m.google.com m.google.com slash sync slash settings right on the ipad like pick the calendars yeah (laughs) in this 2007-ish looking mobile interface. Um, And then it works, and you're fine. And I was trying to email a a keynote or something uh, to someone last week, and I noticed I couldn't email it through Inbox, which is what I use for my Google Apps stuff. And Inbox is, you know, yeah, it's from Gmail, and it's kind of Google's new take on email. But I I love it. It it works well for for what I do. Um, But there's still this... Kind of like, um, you know, in the old days, I would say, uh, you have the the two train tracks that have different gauges. So the trains would have to stop at a certain point and put on new wheels to fit the new gauges yeah. um, because a, a different company owned that section of train track. And that really feels like where we are with, with this, you know, Google, Apple stuff. Because, you know, for me, Google makes the best email. Apple makes really good devices right. and I like using them. And it works great on Android for me, but... When I hop over to my iPhone or my iPad, which I use for work, it's it's still just a pain. Um, and and getting files from email and putting them in other places on the iPad, especially if you're using uh, a third-party app like Gmail or, or Inbox or Outlook or whatever, that's still such a pain. And it's so much easier to use the default mail app. Um, and, it's, and, that's, and that's by design. Right. And... and it, it sort of was that way at one time on MacBooks, but that's always been so easy to, to overcome just by using a you know a web browser. Um, but they've they've really got you locked down. And so, just you know, the calendar and the mail app on the iPad and on the iPhone are so much better if you just use the the default ones. But then you don't get all the the stuff that you get if you use something like Inbox or Outlook. So I don't know. I'm I'm still trying to. Figure out which way is the, the smoother route to go. Well, and two, if you use the default apps, then they're baked into the system as well. So that, you know, when you, in your notification center or whatever your today widget area, you've got, like, your calendars built out there. It tells you how long to your next appointment, you know, when you should leave to get to your next appointment and all that stuff. So if you don't, if you're not using the kind of built-in calendar, it doesn't do that. Um, well, I mean, there's something like Fantastic Al right. or... Right. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Google Calendar doesn't do that. Right. Google Calendar doesn't. Um, There's no Google Calendar app for the iPad. And and the new yeah the new Google Calendar app is actually pretty nice. I mean, with overall oh, I love what they've it. done, um, yeah. but it doesn't have that built in. Right. Yeah. You can set you know alerts or reminders for every single event, but that's a pain. Right. And and I that. use yeah I use the notification shade on iOS so much because I'm a I would consider myself an Android first user. Um, and I'm so used to that and I don't have any apps like little icons on my home screen on Android 
you know, it's all widgets and the calendar and that kind of stuff. Um, but I use that pull down shade all the time to get to email or to get to my, you know, whatever my podcast app. Yeah. So when I'm on iOS, like, yeah, now I'll just turn on my iPad and it's on the notification shade. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm looking at the mail and I'm looking at the calendar. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that we're still at that point with iOS when we start rolling out these things like iPad pros, we're still at that point where there's that, that weird divide between the two ecosystems that I don't think it, you know, is ever going to get, get bridged. And I always thought it, it would, but then I look at mail on a MacBook, like the you know, mail.app and it's terrible. And I'm, I'm not sure how anyone really uses that effectively, especially if you have Gmail or Google apps. Um, yeah, but the problem so. now is that some, uh, like exchange, you can't run through your Gmail. Yes, you can. Well, okay, there are certain ways that it can't be done because I had this issue with my FSU email. Oh, that's right. Um, I remember that. I mean, it's this whole thing, and like, and it's it's an odd thing being a graduate student who's also an employee of the university and a student. You get a student email and you get a faculty email. Um, and so I had my faculty and student emails running through my Gmail account. We were just oh, talking about this. Right, and everything right. was kind of running through that. Um, so I could receive it in Gmail and also send from that address through Gmail. Uh, so essentially using Gmail like a mail app or an Outlook or something like that, where everything's all in one place. Um, but then they made these changes uh, in the ex- on the exchange side for the faculty or you know employee email to where – you couldn't run it. it. It broke it running through Gmail and running it through the mail app. I was able to do that, but it actually actually had to essentially kind of hack that to make that work as well. Because I guess Microsoft wants you to only use Outlook or their web interface, which is abysmal. Or, or <laughs> I don't know, like abysmal yeah, times ten, is. whatever that would be. That's what Outlook's web interface is. But Outlook, the app on iOS and Android now are. It's fantastic, and it, it's got Sunrise, the calendar yeah. that they acquired, and it's got Wunderlist or Wunderlist uh, integration, and it works really well. And you can bring in things from Dropbox or Box.net or wherever, Google Drive. Um, so it's like, okay, you, you've done this great thing, but I think if Microsoft were to change Outlook on the desktop, it would be such a Gordian knot and, and cause so much uproar by enterprise users and people right. that it's, live in Outlook. It's because they live in Outlook and... They're doing things the way that, you know, was, I guess, innovative 10 years ago and they never changed it because businesses are the slowest things in the world to change. I mean, they talk about innovation all the time, but like, no, innovation for them is changing, you know, an email signature like once every three years or something. Yeah. So (laughs) at my last three school or last two schools, um, and then I helped out with the the school here for a little while, uh, you know, I kind of went in with guns blazing and was like, yeah, I'm going to lead this initiative to change the Google apps and then we're going to do this and this and this. And now I look back as a, as a wise old man and I think, what the hell was I thinking yeah. trying to <laughs> push those things? Because it was there was so much pushback, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, the week after we launched the Google app stuff, I, I had all the teachers upload all their stuff. And there was a Spanish teacher who uploaded gigs and gigs of, and gigs of things that she had. Um, and it was, you know, she was kind of, you know begrudgingly doing it uh but then the week after her macbook crashed and she was like hey, you know if i hadn't done that i would have lost all this because i had to send the, the computer back and all this thing yeah. uh, it was you know crazy but it was all there in google drive and then she was like oh okay this is fantastic <laughs> you know I, I get it now understand yeah, right. right living in the cloud um and you know it goes back to that rent versus own type thing i guess but um i don't know i, I just 
I wish in 2016 there was an easy way to to use those two services. But and I, I've experimented experimented with things like Fastmail, yeah, uh, you know, which works great and it's it's a wonderful IMAP, you know, email provider. Um, and it, you know, so it kind of stands between the Exchange stuff and then the the Google stuff. And then Google, you know, it's basically killed IMAP, right? And they have their own API now, right? And it's, it's, um, I don't want them to, to do that. You know, I want email to be like RSS, you know, the, right? Well, like right. RSS used to Open be before web. it died. Yeah, <laughs> right. The whole web, man, especially with that new Instagram icon. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> I need, I need your feedback on the new Instagram logo. All right, I, I like it. I like it. Um, it's funny. I've seen a lot of the uh, like designers that I, I follow have come out with some funny things, and it, you know, it shows like you know this kid's like, oh, I'm going to make the new Instagram logo, and they take the yeah, Instagram yeah, logo, <laughs> like throwing <laughs> a gradient on it, and that was it. <laughs> Which you know, if you look at it, you're like, holy shit, that's just a gradient. Um, but it's a little too contemporary. Like there was, there was something kind of oddball, like attractive about how out of style that icon was, because it was still hearkening to that period from you know 2007 through 2010 or so that you know the the, the photorealism or what was the skeuomorphism? Skeuomorphism, right? Yeah. You know the the famous skeuomorphism of of Apple design, um, and it. You know, it was, it was an app-only thing for a long time, and you couldn't get to it from the web. And it was kind of this cool new breaking ground type app. Um, so I, in a way, I kind of wish they had stuck with the old logo. But I understand, you know, it's 2016, and right. they fit saturation to a point. They've got to attract new people, and in order to do that, you've got to have a a logo that looks contemporary, but well, you know, and I, I you know, so a couple thoughts about it. I, I'm not really a big fan of how it just looks personally, but I'll get used to it. On one hand, as it's very close to my um, music app on my home screen, and you can see some similar colors in the gradients there. That's probably not by accident. Um, so it's like okay, that that's not bad, and I like how they've kind of. All of their family of apps like Layout, Hyperlapse, Boomerang are kind of in the same vein as this, though they're kind of, they're also flipped, if that makes sense, right? So the Instagram app is the white camera on the kind of gradient purplish background, and the other apps are white backgrounds with gradient the purple gradient whatever design on it. So for Boomerang, it's just like an infinity symbol. So anyway, um, so Boomerang is your music app? No, Boomerang is it's their little video app that you take a short video. And oh, 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 right, 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 like right. Goes back and the video goes back and forth like that. So, yeah. um, but the one thing I do like about it is that it's the most contemporary icon on my phone now, and I think that that's going to be it's going to help push some designers to rethink their icons because you remember for a while like. Twitter and Facebook were blues, and so everybody's icon was blue. So you'd have like yeah, a whole page of just blue icons. It's like, give us something else, people. Um, <laughs> and they're all the same shade of kind of that UNC pale blue. Right, yeah. Carolina blue. Yeah, exactly. Right. So now, I mean, things are starting to change, and people are pushing a little bit. But um, I think it generally needs to be pretty simplistic, like the Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter icons, Dropbox icon, things like that. But I, I just like that somebody's kind of pushing the envelope a little bit on it, um, change it up. Well, 
Yeah, and and you'll see this a lot. This this idea in design is, I mean, mostly web design, but I've seen it offline as well, where you have very simple shapes, and then you have a background, and that background's going to change, right? So if all of a sudden we get into a grayscale, you know, trend or whatever, they'll be able to to rip that background out and put in a different background, or like Hillary uh, Clinton, you know, with her logo. Oh yeah, she's kind of making use of that, right? So each state kind of has its own little. Uh, variation of her logo, but it's the same logo. Yeah, and that's a that's a very uh, popular contemporary thing to do right now with with logos. So I've been doing, I've been working with a couple of churches actually on this, and to try to pitch that in a in a meeting with a group of fifty to fifty five year old white men. <laughs> yeah, is lots of fun. What, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, all right, guys. I, yeah, I did that. So you know, I mean, the ligature, my ligature that I created a couple years ago, um, I generally use just the one that's black on white, essentially, but. I made a whole host of other ones. They're not like gradients or whatever, but different colors, like red on gray, you know, uh, white on black, like different versions of it, obviously transparent backgrounds as well. Um, For that reason, so you can pop them in over different things where then like it kind of, you know, it's essentially universal in that regard. Yeah. And that, and that's really becoming popular. Um, I know CNN is flirting with a, with a uh, logo campaign kind of in a similar way. Um, But, so, you know, they're, they're doing that, which I think is interesting and good because just like with websites, you know, um, God, 10 years ago when we used to design websites, you would design them for a 27-inch screen or a 15-inch screen or whatever, 17-inch screen. And if, you know, someone wanted to look at it in a 5-inch or 6-inch, you know, rectangle, that would be preposterous, right. number one. But number two, like, I don't care. You know, 90%, 95% Ninety-eight percent of the people are looking at it on a twenty-inch or above screen on their desktop, and that rapidly changed thanks to the iPhone and then thanks to Android. So now we have, you know, all these different design considerations when we make websites, and you really have to think about: okay, am I going to make this thing so it looks really awesome on someone's iPhone, or am I going to make it so it looks really awesome on someone's twenty-seven-inch screen? And also, I've got to make it so that it, it, you know, is responsive to whatever you're looking at. Um, so everything from, yeah, like ligature to, to fonts, to kerning, to kerning, um, to colors, all those things are, are so, I guess so much more important as variables now than they used to be. So it's not the actual logo design. It's not the website design itself. It's how it responds and and flexes and bends. Right. And that's the most, but of course apps like Instagram and Snapchat, for instance, don't have to worry about that because they are essentially mobile only. Exactly. Like you can, right. Yes, you can a- access an Instagram feed from uh, through a web browser um, on your desktop, but like that's all you can do is look at it. I mean, I, can you comment and like maybe? But you certainly you can, can comment. But you, can, you can't post anything yeah. or anything like that. You can't share it. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, so you know there are a lot of um, you know companies that aren't having to worry about that if they are essentially mobile only. Um, you know they're not. And it's just kind of a new world, right? Because our thinking is like whatever project you're even considering, like buy the domain, get a website, throw it up there, you know, <laughs> right. right? I mean, and, and you're, you're pretty yep. notorious uh, for that. Um, I do have a number. Yeah. I've got 212. <laughs> so there you now. go. And, yeah. um, you know, but that's like, I mean, yeah, I guess Instagram got it. I don't even know. Does Snapchat have like snapchat.com? Um yeah, I think they do. Okay, yeah, they do. Okay, but like, 
What do you have to do? I mean, I, I've never been to Snapchat.com, and I'm a regular Snapchat either. user. Okay, that's where you can go to get your own geo filter. That's. Cool. <laughs> but but what's funny is through the through the website instead of through the app. Okay. There were a number of um, like Chrome extensions that would allow you to log into your Instagram or Snapchat. Thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. So when I was teaching, even in like 2012, 2013, teaching middle school. Uh, that's where I learned about Snapchat and Instagram the first time. Instagram was like 2011, I think, or 2010. Um, you know, my eighth graders were like, oh, you got to see this cool new app that we're all using. And I was like, oh, that's stupid. And then Snapchat came around and I was like, oh, that's really stupid. <laughs> but uh, even then, there, there were these Chrome extensions that they were using to be able to log in so that they were, you know, still Snapchatting, but they were working on their laptop. Right, you know? exactly, yeah. So, uh, you know, water always flows downhill. Um but, uh, yeah, I don't know what I was going to say about that. It's a terrible experience, but, you know, people still want to be able to do that across different mediums, I guess, is yeah. where I was going with that. But, um, yeah, I think that, I mean, the main medium now is is a mobile phone. It's where people are watching TV. It's where people are interacting. Uh, it's where people are getting things done. And, you know, I, I could, honestly, if there were a few little small things, I could very well see myself using the iPad is my big computer and mostly just working on my iPhone or my Nexus device because that's, that's what I do. Yeah. And it's, it's but great. That, that goes it. back to what we started with. And that is you have to have slightly better integration between a lot of these products, particularly since there's no uh, native file system on like an iPad. Yeah. Right. But, so I mean, you have you to know, have like you can get to Dropbox. It, yeah, you can get to it, but it's you know multiple steps, right? So in Dropbox now, it was this huge thing, or they made a big deal out of it a while back, six months ago, or whatever, when they had their kind of Adobe relationship, which they still have. It's like, oh, you can edit PDFs now, like you can. Which I use all the time. I use it too, but <laughs> but what it does is you in you're in Dropbox and you click edit, and then it opens your file in Adobe and then saves it back in a Dropbox, which is just stupid, right? I mean, it's a step that yeah. is unnecessary. Um, but you know, thinking, you know, I'm just thinking like PDF expert, you know, you open your PDFs in there, which is what I used to use exclusively. Um, and like all your editing tools are built into that. Um, yeah, I you, have to, you have to sync your Dropbox with it and all this stuff. So, so I'm saying like there, there are still these barriers to people who do kind of what we might, I don't know, I'm not going to call it like more serious work, but people who do a type of work that a lot of people do for work, right. The deals heavy in files and things like that. Um, where yeah. the mobile operating systems just haven't quite caught up yet. Yeah. Or I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about this today because I was taking notes during a, a client call and I was using my iPad and the Apple Pencil and I'm, you know, noting away and I was trying to use Evernote to do this because I was trying to use Evernote more and the handwriting recognition in Evernote sucks. Like, you know, it picks up your palm, it picks up like all these straight movements. But if I hop over, uh, at least on the iPad Pro with the Apple Pencil, if I hop over to GoodNotes or Notability, uh, it's great. And, you know, I can put my palm on the screen and I can Which make random straight marks. Which is supposed to be what marks. you're supposed to be able to do with the app, the iPad Pro and the Apple Pencil. Right. So I don't know if Evernote just hasn't updated it to that point. Yeah. But I just said, so I just, you know, moved over to Not uh, GoodNotes, actually, which I used to make fun of. But they've really beefed up. Um, and it's it's a nice, like, kind of a cool system to be able to to use. But... Uh, so I just exported that those notes out as a PDF, and I put it in Evernote. But and, oh, that was the other thing. So I put it in Evernote, and then I needed to edit those notes. So I went to my desktop and pulled it up on Evernote, but it wouldn't let me. It let me edit that, 
But then I, when I tried to save it and open it up on the iPad, it registered that as a uh, edited PDF, but it it wasn't in a PDF format. Yeah. So it's like in this weird Evernote format, and I couldn't send that to the client. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I was like, "What the hell is that about?" Yeah. It's <laughs> like, the proprietary, proprietary crap, man. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, "Yeah." So again, screw it. So I just uh, sent it over to Dropbox and saved it there. But I don't know. And that I'm thinking and that, about that's, everything. So that's in, the ultimate know. problem we're kind of dealing with with all those, right? Is silos. Yeah. Right. Right. Because everybody wants to keep you in their ecosystem for as long as possible. Uh, which I guess makes sense, right? All, for all kinds of reasons, but in doing that, you're actually making it harder for people to use your app, right? Like, so I mean, if you uh, use Evernote the, exclusively for absolutely everything, you do all your notes in there, you do your presentations there, you do your to-dos and reminders in there, then yeah, Evernote's great. But until you try to share, something. until you try to share it with somebody that doesn't use Evernote, yeah. I mean, that's why I like agnostic. You know, products like Dropbox. But think of it this way. Um, for me, the products that really take off are the products that offer a lot of stuff, you know, maybe for free, but but it's like, okay, just use it. You know, here, the, the first hit's free. Um, Evernote's that way, or used to be that way. Dropbox is that way. You know, like, we're going to give you a little bit. Here's two gigs. Um, and then we're going to upsell you because we got to, you know, we, we got to grow and and make money and and you're going to understand that and you're going to want to pay for this so for me and i know a lot of people who are you know mac snobs uh they willingly will pay for you know an rss reader or dropbox or whatever instead of using something like google drive which is free uh because you know they feel like i'm paying for it so therefore i'm not the product you know and i'm paying for the service and that makes me confident but then i look at how you know dropbox or evernote and I, I pay both. I mean, I pay what, like thirty or forty bucks a month for Dropbox because you know we have the premium business thing and all that. Yeah. And then Evernote, I don't know, eight eight bucks, five bucks, something a month because I'm a premium user there. And they're always trying to upsell me to Evernote Work. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to. I don't need <laughs> deeper it. into the <laughs> right. silo. But I, I get a lot more versatility out of something like Google Drive. And Google Drive is actually a little easier to work with on iOS and of course Android. Um, so I've been using that for things now and I'm like, well, why am I paying for Dropbox when I feel like they've gotten so big now as a company that they've kind of lost that, that coolness, I guess that they had in, in terms of, Hey, we're going to give you this for free. It's not going to be a whole lot, but we're going to do this. We're going to do this really well. Um, and, and it's going to be easy to get out. And that's the thing for me, particularly with Evernote, I guess it's not easy to get out of Evernote. You know, it's not easy to export things unless you're willing to deal with XML and CSV and all that. Um, and then and too, that's, at, that's, at that, and then you're essentially only exporting as plain text, right? Right. So all that media, all those you know documents and things that I've I've uploaded there, like uh, like like pictures of PDF files and things, it's it's kind of in a black hole. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't I just you know put that somewhere where I know I'm going to be able to you know a share that and b get that back out if I need to get it out. Um, so I don't know. That, that's always my recommendation for. <laughs> product services type things like make it easy to get in make yourself attractive but make it easy to get out like don't give people a hassle and don't say well if you're going to ever or if you're going to export from evernote you've got to export into an xml file because no one knows what to do with that yeah. so anyway it's like a church like, make it easy to get in and if you want to leave like no, but it is kind of like a church you right? a membership to make covenant. it easy to get in but then it's like it's impossible to get out yeah 
and, and we're going to keep upselling you. I mean, there was a lady in, in Lexington who got sued by her church because she wanted to leave and she had signed a membership covenant and she hadn't finished the covenantal process or whatever. And they're like, no, no, this is a legal binding thing. You can't leave our church. That was a mainstream Protestant church. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to let that one go. Like, you know, I'm picking my battles. I guess maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting weak in my old age. I'm getting soft. Um, <laughs> but okay, let's so let's talk about the church, right? I mean, this is ostensibly yeah. a religion show, uh, and we are like thirty, or no, I don't know, twenty minutes, Probably like twenty or so like, minutes. In. We always talk about tattoos. Yeah. Um, Have you heard about Donald Trump? <laughs> we 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 almost got through a show without talking about Donald Trump. Um, Drink. <laughs> Okay, so did you hear what the Pope said? Um, this was, uh, you know, it's making a lot of headlines today. Uh, basically, he said um, that, yes, he thinks it would be good to study the idea of ordaining women as deacons. Now, you know, <clears throat> yes, this is kind of huge, um, but also he's just kind of saying, like, yeah, we can look into that. Right. That, so he's like, oh, yeah, maybe we'll have an official commission. Um, I think that's fine. Um, so now it doesn't mean that women were go- are going to be ordained as priests. Um, and a lot of people are pushing back saying, oh, as soon as you let them be deacons, then they're going to want to be priests. And yeah, <laughs> like, you know, whatever that is, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Um, but this is kind of it's an it's interesting. And it happened at a, a meeting with. um I forget the name of the group, but it was uh, it was a meeting of women. I want to. It was um, women religious or something like that. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but basically, somebody asked the question, and he said, "Yeah, I think we can look into that." Yeah, I mean, it's big, though. I mean, it really is, and and the idea of. Uh, you know th- that that deacon position is is not. It's hard to make a synonym with Protestant thought, right? Because yeah. a Catholic deacon is much different than like a Methodist deacon or Baptist deacon, especially. Um, and deacons cannot necessarily celebrate the Eucharist in terms of leading the service, but they can preach. And they can preach at mass, and they do weddings, funerals, baptisms, and you know, all the other uh, sort of uh, you know parts of the office that that you would associate with the priest, you know. And, but especially the pastoral care and counseling aspect of it, which is so intrinsic to you know kind of generic uh, Catholicism, but yeah. but that idea of of a woman being able to to provide those. Uh, you know, the situations I think is is really fascinating that that they would at least just talk about it. Yeah, and we, and we should say, um, you know, since we are both um, somewhat into history, if you've listened to the show ever, you should know this by now. Um, this is not new for the Catholic Church. Okay, so even you know, even without going back to the New Testament Thecla. and <laughs> right and Unia and Thecla and yeah, Unia. Um, Priscilla and people like that. Um, there was an office in um, kind of late antique, uh, early medieval 
uh, what we might call Catholic Church that was deaconess, um, which is kind of what they're talking about here. And you'll say, well, what's why does it matter? You know, it's like women. Uh, so, yeah, we just call them deaconess. Well, um, there's a whole bunch of reasons why it matters calling them deaconess as opposed to just calling them deacon, which would be the same title that their male counterparts would hold. Um, but this this deaconess office that we saw in late antiquity, early medieval times was an office for women, but essentially they could only minister to women. Um, so not exactly the same as kind of the the office of deacon that we see now. But if we do go back to, say, the New Testament and we look at Unia, uh, whom Paul talks about, right, um, calls her a deacon in the masculine the same way that, you know, he calls men deacons. So she clearly uh, held this, I mean, this position uh, in the church. Um, and there's a great... Um, oh, what was his name? I can't think of his name now. But the guy who who edited the Greek New Testament for a long time, who was Ehrman's teacher. Um, um, oh. Wayne Meeks? No. 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 What's, this is bad. Uh, this is bad. Bruce, uh, Metzger. Uh, Bruce Metzger. 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 Not and Meeks, and all I had to do was reach the shelf beside me to find it, and I found it. Okay, so... Um, We've definitely been out of seminary for too long, Thomas. I know. But so... He has this um, commentary. He wrote this commentary on the Greek New Testament, and it's essentially, oh, here's you know the the readings we chose and why we chose some of these, and it gives you some insight into how they chose which readings would be their what they class as A readings, right? They're most confident, and so he gets to this um, passage in Romans 16 where you have Unia, and he's talking about how they. Um, the committee discussed it and talked about how it should be accented, whether it should be male or female. Um, and it's, it's kind of great in the way he says it, uh, because he kind of, you know, clearly is ribbing some of the other people. Uh, he talks about how this masculine name that some of these guys are trying to say that union is a form of is never attested in the, you know, ever do we see that anywhere in the, um, in the record. But then he says, um, uh, where is it? Oh, yeah. So he says that some members, considering it unlikely that a woman would be among those styled apostles, understood the name to be translated union or unias, thought to be shortened form of unianus. Others, however, were impressed by the facts that one, the female Latin name unia occurs more than 250 times in Greek and Latin inscriptions found in Rome alone, whereas the male name unias is unattested anywhere. And two, when Greek manuscripts began to be accented, scribes wrote the feminine union. And so then he goes on. But so you have what seems to basically everyone to be very clear evidence of a woman that Paul understands to have been um, an apostle there. And then you have right. others um, that are, you know, use the term deacon with. So clearly early on in the church, a woman held positions of leadership that then changed and then uh, we do have the kind of rise of this office of deaconess uh, some centuries later, and then that goes by the wayside as well. And um, so it's interesting to kind of see the Catholic Church considering that again. Um, but, you know, I don't know, like a lot of us might say, hey, we would love to see this because it would be one step closer potentially to, you know, women's ordination as priests. And, you know, maybe the Catholic Church will go that way. But I just don't see that happening. I mean, if it did, I, I see a massive split, you know, another schism yeah. like we had in, you know, the 11th century or whenever. I mean, do you think it would cause that? Yeah, I think so. 
What about Gay Priest? Honestly, I think that'd be easier to get through. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, by this point, it shouldn't be. But you know, right? Yeah. <laughs> the fact that it's become so much a part of the tradition, when if you want to make a biblical case for it, you know, actually there were <laughs> women in positions of power, and right. going back to Jesus, um, that's really interesting. But and and you you think about something like the Methodist, right? United Methodist uh, Church this week is having their uh, general conference, and is it Portland? I believe somewhere out west. And they were know, I'm just I'm just following it on Twitter, so it kind of doesn't really matter where it's physically happening. I guess <laughs> that's actually some Methodists would say that as well. Um, I, I think they're out in Portland. I'm sure we'll get email, uh, but they are confronting, if you will, or or try not to confront <laughs> uh, the LGBTQI uh, question or situation or however you want to phrase that. Issue. <laughs> issue. Yes. We have to deal with this issue. Um, these people, uh, you know, but just, just this week, hundreds of uh, United Methodist uh, pastors came out as openly gay or, you know, affirming and signed a letter, signed many letters. I've seen three or four passing around now. Uh, the Alliance of Baptists were passing around a letter for us. Um, you know, and I was like, oh, hell, I'll sign it, sure. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, the, the fascinating thing about 2016 is that, you know, with, with things like change.org and all that, like we have so many opportunities to express our righteous indignation, but not, you know, centralized messaging board. Um, so anyway, a uh, number of Methodists came out and they're trying to figure out basically what's going to happen to uh the UMC in terms of answering these questions about, you know, gay pastors or gay ministers or gay deacons or even people in the congregation, it sounds like, uh, you know, down to, are we going to say as a, a denomination or, or as a general conference that, you know, we are, you know, affirming of all people, you know, regardless of their sexuality. And it's, I've, I've never seen Methodists get this worked up. So it's, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're generally a pretty pretty chill bunch. Yeah. I, I went to a Methodist school. I, I know many many Methodists, and uh, I almost went to the Methodist ministry myself. And uh, I, I think it's. I mean, I, I've not seen this level of heatedness. I mean, we we sort of had this with the Episcopal Church, um, here in the U.S. when they were going through this issue as well. Uh, or, or the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran yeah. Church. And of, PCUSA, it was, I mean, it was a PCUSA, pretty big deal USA. a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But it, it feels different this time because you don't uh, expect the Methodists to get this riled up. Yeah. And I've seen so much you know, nasty stuff on both sides, but also stuff that it sounds very much like the, the arguments against women and women. Uh, in the in the priesthood by by the Catholic side of things as well. I don't know. It's yeah, well, a and it's it's heck of a week for that. Yeah, it's interesting too. So uh, you know, a couple thoughts on this. One, um, uh, to a certain degree, our perspective is skewed because we're seeing a lot of this online, right? Which is, you know, the people that are kind of venting about this online are going to tend to tend to be maybe younger, a little bit more tech savvy, um, <clears throat> potentially more, you know, moderate to liberal. Um, 
and you know also as we continue to kind of create the world which we inhabit which tends to look more and more like us right um so we kind of hear a lot of the same voices sometimes i think then maybe what's going on um you know in the United Methodist world, kind of outside of the Twitter sphere. Um, but it's also interesting to kind of watch this happen because it feels like it doesn't feel like the PCUSA battle did a couple of years ago where it was pretty clear that they were going to, you know, change their, um, you know, uh, law, essentially laws. I mean, they're not laws, but, you know, change their rules essentially to say, Hey, we're completely fine with, you know, marrying whomever. Um, and some people were upset about it, but like they saw it coming, and a lot of people, most people that were going to leave over had already left. Uh, with the United Methodists dealing with this, it doesn't feel that way. It feels um, rather still early in the process for them, right? And of course, that presumes that they end up ultimately um, becoming more welcoming and affirming. Um, but that's how it feels to me. I don't know. I mean, and I'm I'm wondering yeah. if that's part of why it seems so contentious and so heated because the early stages of these battles kind of always are, I would think, but this is one where in which the early stages are playing out and to a large degree in the public eye on Twitter, on Facebook and things like that. Yeah. It feels very heated. I mean, it really does. And yeah, it, it's different. Just like this election is different, right? So we could have never seen what we've seen in 2016 with the presidential election because we didn't have, the importance of things like Facebook and Snapchat and, and Twitter, uh, like we, like we do now in our culture. So I think that's definitely playing into it, like you said. Um, but yeah, I mean, even, even with PCUSA, it didn't feel as if, okay, they're actually going to split if this doesn't go this way. But it, it feels like now people, especially, you know, people who are supportive of LGBTQ inclusion have the, availability i guess or, or the, the courage or, or whatever to say look it, we want to be in fellowship but if you know if you all are going to say that we can't fellowship with you then we're going to get started our own thing you know if, if it has that feeling to it which i hope that doesn't happen but well you know, know. so I, th I think um more and more as we've seen kind of the culture as a whole shift fairly you know fairly quickly on um this question um I think more and more we're seeing people decide I don't have to fight this battle. There's so many other places that I could be right. Other denominations I could serve in that would accept me as who I am. And I have to fight enough other battles. This is not one I have to fight. Right. So the question on say like women being pastors, right. The cooperative Baptist fellowship talks about it. All right. They say they support, you know, women in ministry, but yeah, it's it's still, if we're honest, very much a battle. You know, yes, there's still is. a lot of CBF churches that would never consider hiring a female pastor. So and it's a huge battle there still. <laughs> and so it's kind of like, you know, do I really want to stay and fight this battle or go somewhere where they fought this battle 25 years ago and I can just be who I am and do what I think I'm supposed to do, right? So yeah. I'm, you know, I'm thinking that like as acceptance grows more generally in society as a whole, that's maybe why we're seeing some of these. Um, some of this kind of more open resistance and people that are, you know, maybe issuing more what we would consider ultimatums or just not issuing an ultimatum, just leaving and saying, okay, that's who you are and that's not who I am and that's okay. 
Well, you know, we don't all watch Dan Rather. We don't have a monoculture in the United right. States. Right. You don't have to be a Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, or Catholic, or you know, maybe a Lutheran or maybe a Jew. Um, and we we see that with our political process, and. I think that really is impacting churches because, you know, you don't have to go to the big downtown Methodist or Baptist or Presbyterian church in order to necessarily fit in. I mean, it helps in some cir- circumstances, whether you're in Tallahassee or Columbia, but it's okay to be, you know, a member of a little small group at churches or a little small church or not go to church at all or be a nun or, you know, whatever, you, whatever your persuasion is. And that's really challenging to something like the UMC or the Southern Baptist Convention or the Republican Party. You know, and, and to see this sort of fragment uh, uh, occurring, this fragmentation, I guess, um, around our, our ability to express ourselves is really interesting. Um, you know, and, and we're coming out of this broadcast period from about 1840 with the rise of newspapers until, you know, I would say 2010, you know, with kind of the, the collapse of uh, things like broadcast TV and, and broadcast radio uh, to now where your Spotify channel looks completely different than my Spotify, uh, Spotify channel. Or, you know, you might not even use Spotify. You might use something else. Or you, you might not really even care about music. And, you know, uh, who knows? You, you might really know that one song that is going to be the song in the summer. And then there are millions of us now who don't really care, <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. it's okay not to care. But 10 years ago, 15 you know, 50 years ago, you would, I would have certainly known the song of the summer, right? Um, so I, I think we're seeing this fragmentation based on a lot of factors, you know, whether it's economics and social media and this and that. Um, but I think it's, I, I mean, in general, I think it's a good thing. I think it's, it's wonderful that we're able to say, you know what, if you want to have this little power base or, or a little ecosystem of power in which you issue pronouncements about something really important to me, like my faith or uh, you know, creedal issues, then that's fine. You know, keep your little power base, but I'm going to go take my ball and go over here. And it doesn't mean that we can't fellowship with each other, but you have to realize that you're not in control of the process, you know, ultimately anymore. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not that fragmentation is good, but you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I agree. Right. It's not that all fragmentation is good, but largely we're seeing, I think the democratization of this, right? Of, you know, I mean, not just of the web, but of all these other things as well. And I think that generally that's not a bad thing. Um, but it does have significant consequences, which, you know, we're kind of all still trying to figure out. And particularly kind of this, you know, what now is probably somewhat of a data denominational model. Um, it's trying to figure out how to live and, a more democratized and fragmented society. Yeah. And that's challenging, you know, especially if you grew up in a world where things were black and white and, you know, you were a suit to work and there might've been women there, but there were secretaries and you didn't have to learn how to type on a keyboard. You didn't didn't have to learn how to use technology because you could, um, you know, you had a secretary there to dictate things to. And, Women knew their place, and black people knew their place. And if you're gay, that's fine, but keep it in the closet. Um, and it's a different world, on the surface, at least. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens this week. 
yeah, I always enjoy watching these things. Um, you know, so I'm grateful for the, I don't know, democratization, right? Because I can follow, like, I'm not Methodist, but I can follow this and follow some really great voices that I wouldn't have followed otherwise. Um, and kind of get, you know, their kind of real instantaneous takes on what's going on. Um, well, and it, it gets back to something we've talked about recently, just that feeling of, I don't know, for me at least, it's like hopelessness. <laughs> you know, it's, okay, I'm a 37-year-old white guy, and here's my experience, and I like this type of music, and I like using these devices, and, you know, I like this baseball team. But when I was 15 or 20 or 25, I was much more experimental in terms of, you know, what I was willing to subject myself to, you know, whether it was watching Fox News or, you know, whether it was it was reading a, a, a piece of newspaper or, or something that I didn't necessarily agree with. And the older you get, I mean, you know, of course, you, you start sort of going inward and you start closing off some of the uh, those outside influences that, that don't necessarily agree with you. But that's so much easier now, you know, and I don't have to listen to Justin Timberlake. I don't have to turn my radio on in my car. I don't have to have a car. And that's such a different world than what you and I grew up in, and especially what the people in the generation ahead of us grew up in. Um, yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, now, and of course, Facebook's getting accused of, like, skewing their trending results and kind of, you know, it's the, Facebook's kind of always getting accused of this, right, of, like, oh, it's, you know, they're only showing you post by people like you so that's like they're making it worse and it's like oh no you're making it worse for yourself and then some conservative outlets right have come and said oh well facebook is you know skewing trending results and so we're not showing up like we should and they're like oh actually we're not doing this and people are looking at their um you know like what facebook has put out their kind of guidelines for how they do this and it's like oh they're actually more thoughtful about this than most newsrooms are so uh, yeah maybe yeah did, did people not realize that you know, that's it's a frustrating thing with Facebook for me because, you know, at church or somewhere else, someone will say, well, yeah, put that on Facebook. You didn't see it. And it's like, well, you know, unless I saw it in the first 20 minutes, I probably didn't see it because of the Facebook algorithm. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not that I don't, you know, care about your your content, but you have to realize that there's a lot of stuff you, you never, ever see on Facebook unless you turn off the, the default news feed and, and put it back to um what is it, latest first or something like that, buried deep, deep, deep in the settings. And the same thing now with Instagram, and the same thing's going to happen with Twitter. Um, and, you know, for better or for worse, that's kind of how things operate. So it's it's funny to me that people don't realize that. But, you know, then it, I think Facebook should just say, no, it's our religious freedom to censor certain people we don't agree with. So, you know. Well, that, that was my first thought is like, so what if they are doing that? Like they're <laughs> they're a business. They they're know, absolutely like they're not able to do that. Services. Right? Exactly. Right. Like, and a it's like they're going to hold like congressional hearings on this. Are you serious? Yeah, Senate hearings, not just House. I I mean, oh. <laughs> it's, and it's it's that funny idea that you know the First Amendment applies to business. It's like, well, that's actually a protection of, against government intrusion. That's not saying right. that Facebook should give you a microphone to say whatever you want to say at all times. And Facebook deleting your post because you're dressed like Hitler and doing, you know, the Heil Hitler thing. They're not cutting down on your right of expression or whatever. It's 
It's like they're a business and they're a company and they can do those things. Just like you want companies to be able to tell people, no, I'm not going to bake you a cake because you're gay. Right. Yeah. No, but it only goes so so far, Sam. Just on the things I Just agree with. Just on the things I agree with. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Make Jesus great again. Oh. Uh, well. Do you want to talk about Trump or do you want to save that for next week? Let's save Trump for next week. Let's try to get let's get through a show where we're not actually gonna have like a whole conversation about Trump. We're like we're not gonna do a segment on him. I think that's a good thing. I think that's I think that's good for America, right? I mean, but CNN spent a half hour today from what I saw on oh, my Twitter, yeah. like just with a camera pointed at Trump's plane. Did they really? Plane is going to leave soon. You know, I wasn't watching, but I'm just imagining Wolf Blitzer standing there <laughs> holding his piece of paper and his finger up to his ear. Stand by. Oh. Stand by. Donald Trump's plane sitting on the tarmac. You know, stay tuned. <laughs> I don't know. Like, really? Like, this is not so much news. Press. Like, uh, yeah. So, um, I feel like we need to push against that. I agree. I agree. Let's uh, let's not let's not talk about that. All right. Anything else? No, that's it. Let's leave it there. I think that's good. I mean, we did tech, we did religion, and we're not really doing politics. I think that that's a good, maybe refreshing show for some of our listeners. Um, God knows there's going to be enough politics between now and November. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Oops, I said the word. Damn it! I love that I can serotip. I can't even talk. It's five o'clock. I can surreptitiously make someone's life miserable <laughs> just by saying a word on a stupid podcast. And and I'm, I apologize to our listener who hates it when we say that, but it, it's a good. What, what's that term for a word that you throw out there when you need like a crutch? I guess a, a crutch. A crutch. I don't know. Yeah. So when you start a sentence with so, or when you say like every three words. Yeah, you're just, you're giving yourself a mental crutch there. It's very interesting. All right, on that note, that interesting <laughs> note. Um, thanks for listening. If you want more, which I know you do, <laughs> you can uh, you can find us on Twitter. That's where all the fun stuff happens. You can follow Sam at Sam Harrell. So you can follow me at Thomas Whitley, and you can always find more great podcasts at Thinking.fm. <laughs>